All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Numbers chapters 15 and 16, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. A couple things to, I don't know, it's a little early, but we do have the garage sale coming up this spring. Keep that in mind. Probably won't start collecting things for another two months, but um, just start thinking about that or be setting stuff aside. If you were wanting to donate, what we do is we have a garage sale every two years and uh, donate the money to whatever income comes in from it. Uh, to the Mission of Joy Orphanage over in India. So um, it's not for us, it's not a fundraiser, but it is for them. So if you're interested in setting some things aside that um, you don't have need of anymore and want to donate, we'll sell it, and the cash will go right to the orphans, all of it. So um, that's coming up this spring. Also, Breaking Chains is going to be coming up this year. Um, In the spring here, uh, we're working on uh, raising money for that as well, so keep that in mind. Um, So it'd be easier if you just left your wallets where you're sitting. And we'll just grab what we need and give it back to you tomorrow or next week when you come back. Just kidding. All right. Um, Chapter 15. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have come into the land, you are to inhabit, which I am giving to you, and you make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to, to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering, or in your appointed feast to make a sweet aroma to the Lord from the herd or of the flock, then he who presents this or his offering to the Lord uh, shall bring a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. You shall prepare with the burnt offering or the sacrifice for each lamb. Now we've heard this before, okay? I know that. But what's important is um, actually the first word of God's sentence to them, when. See, last week we left off with them coming up to the land of promise and rejecting God's plan for them to go in. And he just broke the news to them that you're going to now have to wander one year for every one day you spied out the land. For 40 years you're going to have to wander in the wilderness. Until you learn to trust me, until you understand, and this is not only, a determine against, not only to deter against other people from going against what God says, but it's also a punishment. It goes along with it. It's part of it. But along with that punishment, as the good father that he is, he follows it up with some encouragement. It's going to be 40 years, but after that, you're going to go where I told you I'm going to take you. This is a, a detour made by you, a decision you've decided to take, and there's consequences for that. They're unavoidable. But when you have come into the land, you are to inhabit. I'm going to take you there. That's an encouraging thing. You can get caught up in the rest of it, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I need to kind of, you know, move on. We've heard this thing before in several different chapters of the Bible about the offerings and all that. That's not the important part. He's showing them, I haven't left you, and everything we've talked about before is still going to happen. We've just been sidetracked here, and I'm going to be with you in the sidetrack. That's the amazing thing. I'm gonna, he this is what I would do. I'll be at the river, see you in 40 years, you know, kind of thing. Not my problem. I'm not, I'm not going to cause myself to suffer just because you guys decided to be, you know. No, I'm going with you. I'm walking with you in the 40 years. And, and the whole time we're going to be doing this, and it's going to be 40 years of practice. We'll be really good now when we get into the new land about how to, how to worship and how to get along with one another. You know, when you sin, here's what you do. 
and I'll forgive you. And so he's reaffirming his love for them. He's showing that I'm still going to be with you. And that's encouraging. That's encouraging when I take you into there. Now, I'm going to skip over the rest of this just because we've gone over it before. I'm going to go to verse 16. One law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. I throw that in there because God wants to make sure that although there was a mixed multitude coming out of Egypt, not only Israelis, but Egyptians and people from Ethiopia and all sorts of slaves and captives and even residents of Egypt came out with Moses believing God. And with all those different cultures mingled together and kind of being blended, God wants to make sure, look, we're all in this together. We're now all, you're all my people and I'm your God and there's no you know, mixture here. We're not going to throw in a little bit of this and a little bit of that. One law, one custom, no matter where you're from. It's all one law and one custom. And Jesus affirms that in the New Testament. When you come to Christ, there's no more Jew, there's no more Greek, there's no more male, there's no more female. It's all the same for each person. Your relationship with God isn't different based on your gender. It isn't different based on your color. It isn't different based on whatever it is that you identify yourself with. You're my people, you're my kids, and I'm your God and I'm your father. It's no different. And so just wanted to bring that out before we move on to 17. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land to which I bring you, then it will be when you eat of the bread of the land that you shall offer up a heave offering to the Lord. You shall offer up a cake of the first of your ground meal as a heave offering as a heave offering of the threshing floor, so you shall offer it up. Of the first of your ground meal, you shall give to the Lord a heave offering throughout your generations. A couple words there we pick up on. Not only is he reaffirming his love for them a second time in this same uh, chapter, but he's also talking about not only are you going to be able to have a relationship with me, you're also going you're gonna to thrive there. This is a heave offering from their produce, from all the, all the uh, blessings that God's going to bestow upon them while they're there. He's really showing him he's not mad. He's you know, disappointed, maybe uh, you know, wished it never happened. All that's still there. But the fact that I'm going to let you have so much of a blessing that you're going to offer a heave offering to me, giving thanks. Don't forget to give thanks when you get to the land for all the blessings I'm going to give you when we get there. You know. And then finally, generations. Not only you, but generations and generations of your people are going to be there. It's not going to be a temporary you know, tent kind of place. When you get there, you're going to be able to build houses. You're going to be able to build cities there when you get there. This is for generations. Now, the 40 years worth of people that need to, well, basically die off, there's a little encouragement in there for them. The kids are going to be okay. I'm not leaving my kids when I die an inheritance of desert or an inheritance of wilderness. They're going to be brought into the promised land. And that's enough. That's enough for me as a parent. I don't care where God takes me or what he does with my life. I'm glad with, I'm happy with what he's done so far and don't need any more. And if he took it all away tomorrow, that's fine. He can do whatever he wants to do. What's encouraging is no matter my failures uh, or successes, um, God's promised to have a same relationship with my kids, not dependent upon mine. Whatever mine is, doesn't matter. My kids will have that relationship with him, or can anyway, if they choose to. And so for generations, I'm going to be a blessing to all of your people. I'm going to be with them. I'm never leaving them, you know. 
Um, they're, they're mine. I've, I've bound myself to this entire nation. And that, that's exciting. If you sin unintentionally, he says in verse 22, and this is all that this is about, unintentional sins. And he says it again here in verse 24, unintentional. If you commit these sins, you still have to offer up a sacrifice for these things. The breaking of the law is breaking of the law. You know the law. You know it's there. You know what it says. You may not know that you're in violation of the law, but when you find out, although you never intentionally said, I'm going to sneak out and break the law, you happen to do it, you still have to cover it over. It's still a sin. Ignorance is, is, isn't an excuse or, or just lack of knowledge or didn't know that that was the kind of speed zone I was in. Okay, well, now you do because I pulled you over, you know? And you're still getting a ticket because you didn't pay attention to the signs, which tells us something. We're responsible to look, to watch, to pay attention to signs, to read God's Word and to take it to heart. We can't look at God and say, well, I didn't know that was a sin. Well, haven't you been having your quiet time? Well, yeah, I've been having my quiet time. Well, it was right there in chapter 4. It was four weeks ago. I showed that to you. Oh, I missed that part. Well, that's your problem. You didn't read it, or you didn't comprehend it, or you didn't take the time to absorb it, you know? But it was still there. The consequences are still there. And so now that you know that you've broken the law, although it was unintentional, you still need to ask for forgiveness. You still can't just move on like, well, that's not my problem. No, it is. We're responsible to keep our eyes out, to be wide awake. God does a lot of things for us. Everything, you know. But he does hold us accountable. He does give us a responsibility in this relationship with him. There's some things you need to do, you know. Sometimes, you know... I get the idea that if I stick the Bible under my pillow at night, maybe somehow, some way, that information is going to transfer. Wouldn't that be great? You know how your computer does that? When should, when, when should I do these updates? You know, we'll do it at 3 a.m. when I'm asleep. You know, if you leave your computer on, it does all the updates. That'd be awesome if I could set that up with God. While I'm asleep, would you just download this entire book and then change everything you need to change, and you have my permission to change all the programs, you know. That'd be great, but it's not how it works. Well, it's up to me to do it. It's up to me to read, to learn, to walk, to practice, all these things. There's a responsibility. Very much like a sport. Very much like it. Remember Shaquille O'Neal and his lack of free throw skills? Probably still has a little bit of that, you know, when he used to play. He spent hours and hours and hours and hours beyond normal practice time just shooting free throws because he was tired of getting made fun of to be this gigantic guy that could almost reach the net from the free throw line. But he took it upon himself saying, you know what, I really am terrible at this. I know it. And so he stayed and he shot and he shot and he shot and he shot and he got a lot better. He's not perfect. He wasn't perfect, but he got better. That's our walk with Jesus. Work at it. And so he calls them to that. Even unintentional sins, they need still the sacrifice. Now, we see an example here in verse 30, but the person, or actually verse 32, excuse me. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, this is just an anecdote, a little story that Moses throws in here uh, about a violation of, 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 the, of the law. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Um, and those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had been explained, uh, until it had been explained, excuse me, um, what should be done with him. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, The man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died. Now to some of us, we read that like, wow, for picking up sticks on the wrong day. You know. Another side to look at that, or another way to look at that is, this is how seriously they took being obedient to God, which is going to come into play in chapter 16. They need to be serious. We need to be serious about obeying God. So serious that they're like, what should we do? Now, I don't know what their heart was. It is. Maybe they liked sin finding. Some people do. I found this guy picking up sticks. I dropped my pencil. I just picked it up. It's still the Sabbath. You know, some people are like that. They love to bust people. Or maybe it was genuine. Maybe we've made a lot of mistakes in the past, and we certainly don't want to blow it now. We don't want to do anything else to rile the Lord, you know. He's serious about resting on the Sabbath. He wants us to know that we can't even pick up sticks. There's nothing, nothing small we can do to help him. That, that's the idea. The Sabbath, remember what the Sabbath was? It was a time for the people to rest in reminder for themselves to, that God does the work and that it's a time to rest and you can't work. In the New Testament, it's a picture of Christ. Christ is our Sabbath. We can't work for salvation. We can't add anything to it. You can't do anything. You cannot add to it. And so the importance of this story, the small, tiny task of picking up sticks is unacceptable. So in the New Testament, when God tells me, you can't add anything to the salvation that Christ has given me, I can't even add a stick to it. I can't do anything, even to the most minute. I can't add anything to that. It is complete. It is done. And I am to rest in my salvation and what Christ has done on the cross. None of my works help him. They never move him closer to loving me a little bit more. He just does. No, no more forgiveness can be given. And he shows us these stories. He writes these strange anecdotes that seem strange because we can do that in the church sometimes. We can think, well, yeah, God took care of the big sins, but it's up to me to pay for the little ones. That's not, that's not accurate. And the Old Testament shows us pictures of that. No, you can't even pick up a stick. You can't go through the Hail Mary and think that that's going to help you. That doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't draw you any closer to God. It doesn't take care of any of your sins. They've been paid for once for all at the cross. And any other thing that we might add or try to add to our walk with Jesus, it can't be added. Verse 37, a reminder. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. And that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. A little reminder, you know, some of us tie a string around our finger. I don't think anybody does that anymore, but we have little ways, don't we? Maybe post-it notes or the new finger, you know, string around your finger. Reminders, you know. I need pads of those things. This is the idea behind that, except they would wear it with them. And every time they'd see the tassel or it would bump or catch or whatever that tassel did. Maybe you saw it on somebody else and it would remind you. All those things were to remind you, don't forget God. 
Not only to remember his word or his commandments, but to do them. He says that twice. Because remembering the commandments isn't enough. Doing the commandments is, but not just remembering them. And of course, James hits on that. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. And so he reminds him, hey, I give you this. Put those tassels on so that you don't forget. Because we have hearts that are inclined to harlotry. And we have eyes that love to look at it. And that's what draws us in. And that's when our hearts sin. All right, chapter 16. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, uh, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So here we go. We've got a little rebellion going on here. A little church split's going to start. you got some guys, three of them, to be specific, that have decided to get a bunch of men with them, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't hard to find these guys. It's pretty easy when you start complaining to find people that'll nod with you. Yeah, oh, I yeah, know, I hate this job. This job's horrible. The boss is an idiot. And that's where these guys are at. And so they get 250 guys with them, and they come up as if numbers are going to matter. And they come up to Moses and say, you've got too much responsibility. Now, here's their problem. They probably were really good administrators. They probably were. I mean, they got 250 people to follow them up to Moses, you know, who's standing by the pillar of fire and smoke. So they probably had pretty good uh, people skills, you know. And they probably were very good leaders, you know. They're doing everything they were supposed to do, very skilled at these things, maybe. They've forgotten something, though. They weren't picked by God. Moses and Aaron never, never volunteered or never applied for this position. They were appointed. They forget that they're talking to the wrong people. It's like going up to middle management and saying, I think you should be replaced. You should find a replacement. We're gonna, I'm going to take your spot. It's not up to you. Go talk to the, you don't like me, that's fine. You don't have to get along. Go talk to the president. Go talk to the CEO. Ask him. You know, And that's what's going to happen. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all your company. Put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the holy one. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. He's not happy either. I mean, he does hit the dirt when they challenge him. When he does come back, so you take too much. Moses isn't defending his position. He's defending God's choice. That's the difference. Moses doesn't care. You want to hire, hire someone else? Absolutely. Let's see who God chooses. If he doesn't want me here, I don't want to be here. That's a fact. Nobody wants to be in a position of authority that God doesn't choose for them. Otherwise, you're in trouble. So he says, yeah, go ahead. Let's get everybody, everybody. Now, this should have bring a bell to Korah. Hey, last time someone brought profane fire before the Lord, it didn't turn out so well. Remember remember his sons, Aaron's sons? Um, didn't work out. Um, they got uh, consumed by God because they bought profane. But anyway, this is what Moses says. Hey, bring the fire. If it's profane, look out. If it's not, hey, You've got your wish. 
Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing? Now, he's, he's given him a pretty good warning here. You think I'm taking too much upon myself? I think you're taking too much upon yourself. You're trying to go beyond what God's called you to do. And he explains to them how important their job is. Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve him? These are the leaders. These are the sons of Levi. Right? You guys are in charge of the entire tabernacle. All worship of God goes through you. All of it. You represent God to the people and people to God. You pray, you offer up the sacrifices. Nobody else in the congregation can do that. You have a huge role. Why aren't you content with that? Why can't you just let that be what God's called you to be? And then if he calls you to something else, great. But if he hasn't, and are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? It isn't me you're complaining against. I mean, that's what they say. And that's easy. That's easy to complain about the person or to the person. You know, pray. Go to the one who put them in position and pray, God, take this person out. He is a disaster. She is unbelievable. I can't believe that this is the one. God, remove them in the name of Jesus. You know, plead the blood of Christ over it all. And then let it go. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? Poor Aaron. He's always caught in it. I didn't make the calf. I just threw these golden earrings in and it popped out. Oh, Aaron. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram because they didn't show up. Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Iliad. But they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land? Listen to this. This is absolutely amazing. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. They're actually complaining about not going into the promised land. You didn't get us in the promised land. Are you kidding me? We went right to the edge. It was your 10 guys that came back and says, absolutely not. And you guys are the ones that walked away from the water. God was ready to bring us in right there. Don't you remember Caleb and Joshua saying, come on, let's go. We can do this. And your guys said no, and you agreed with them. And now they're saying it's your fault. You didn't beg us enough. I'm adding words to the guy, but that's how people think sometimes. Well, I know, I know that I said that, but, you know, you could have tried a little harder to convince me that I needed to follow Jesus closely. And Jenny and I had a wonderful time in Kansas City. Finally celebrate our anniversary after two weeks late. We get down there and we're just talking about this, and it's so funny. Um, you can only do so much. You can only bring people as close as you can bring them. You can only teach them so much. And it's like, look, I'm bringing you right to where you need to be, but you've got to drink the water. You've got to absorb it. You have to apply it to your life. I can't make you love Jesus. I can't make you worship him. I can't make you surrender. You can't do it. And when you read this and you see the heart of these people, and it's like, are you kidding me? I brought you out of Egypt. We went right through the Red Sea. Um, we went right to 
the Jordan River and you guys went the other way and wanted to go back to Egypt. And you're complaining that I didn't do more. Unbelievable. People are funny. These guys are hilarious. Then Moses was very angry, no doubt, and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. That was his conversation with God. Don't respect them. And Moses said to Korah, tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it. And each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle meeting uh, with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourself from among the congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. I don't mean to smile, but it's, it, God's saying, Could you step back a little bit, Moses, because you're a little close to the whole congregation, not the 250, not just the three. Get out of the way. This is God's second time saying, I could just do fine with just you, Moses. Let's just start with you, and I'll make a great nation out of you. That's basically what he's saying. Moses, could you step away? You're a little too close to what I'm about to do. Look what Moses does. Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Fine. A little more surgical strike here. Tell everybody to get away from their tents, at least, because we got to stop this. And here's what's happening, folks. What we're about to read is these guys, their wives, and their children are all about to get consumed by the earth. God's going to open up the ground and swallow them. And a lot of people miss the point. They follow this. They're like, why wouldn't God do more of a surgical strike? Just the three crazies, you know. Why wouldn't he just do that? Why all of them? They and all 250 guys with their little brass sensors are going down. Here's the thing. You've got to look at the much bigger picture from God's perspective. You've got millions of people. It started with Korah. It spread to two other guys. They've now got 250. It is growing. And if we're not careful, if God doesn't do something here, it is going to be all 2 million or 3 million people. They're all going to get consumed because they're all buying into the lie that God doesn't know what he's talking about, that he doesn't know how to make choices, that they can run their lives better than he can. And God wants that stopped. And so what we're seeing is a cancer being removed, a tumor in the middle of this congregation is being taken out. Step away from their tents. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. For if I have not done them of my own will, uh, for I have not done them of my own will, if these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by a common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. So we're looking for normal stuff here. If they just die of natural causes or, I don't know, a donkey accident or something, that's fine. Then you know it's not me. Or you, that you know that it was me, actually. But if the Lord creates a new thing, 
And the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit. Then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. This is a very important point that Moses is trying to bring out. The whole congregation of Israel needs to see this. I'm not coming with spearmen enforcing. I'm not taking these guys out because they're rebellious against my kingship at all. Otherwise, it would be me, or you'd have doubts about it. He could probably do that. I mean, they do, have the, they do have the option of taking a guy outside and stoning him for picking up sticks. He could enforce, but he doesn't. He chooses not to. He says, you know what? I'm letting this go because I know if I do something about this, you'll still think it's me. So I'm letting this go. If the earth swallows them up, I'm, he picks the weirdest thing that could possibly happen. Uh, the ground opens up right underneath them only, and they fall into the pit, and it closes up around them, then you'll know it's God. And I think everybody agreed at that point. Yeah, that'd be weird. That would be weird. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households and all their men with Korah, with all their goods, so they... So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. A lot of jaws on the ground at that point. Oh, wow. You'd think they'd get used to this stuff by now. Pillar of fire, pillar of smoke, Red Sea parting, ten plagues. I mean, they've had manna, quail coming from nowhere. I mean, they, you'd think they'd get rock that just spews water out every time and follows them. You'd think they'd get this down. So maybe they weren't as stunned as I am when I read this or amazed. But there it is. Just as he said, too. Not another weird event, the weird event that he proclaimed. So they all went down. They and all those with them. They went alive down in the pits and they perished. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. You know, that's good. That's a good thing that they were fleeing and were terrified, I think. It's good for me. When I see disaster come upon somebody and I don't wag my finger or shake my head and say, oh, another Christian fell. I watch that stuff. I see these guys, these pastors, these leaders and things happen to them. I'm like, I don't, you know, I would have had condemnation. I can't believe these Christian men are doing these things and all that. I'm just a man. We all are. And they have like passions, and I have like passions. I pay attention to that stuff. That's a strong person. That's a really strong person. That's an amazing person that I didn't think could, in that area anyway, fall. And they did. I'm not stupid enough to say, but I won't. Mm -mm. I pray. Flee from it. I say, boy, I look around me and say, oh my goodness, look how close I was to that. I didn't even see that coming. Look how close. I'd become so comfortable in this environment. I, did, I didn't even see all the disasters that were about to, if I go any further in that direction, this direction, or whatever direction, I run from it. I just encourage you all, when we see things happen in the news, or you see people like, I can't believe that, or this, or the other, just look around yourself. How close am I to any pits that I might fall into? that are unchecked, areas in my life that I've, oh, you know, be careful. You know, I just take heed. And these guys do, and they run for their lives, and that's good. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. They went too. 
They're back there doing their thing, shaking their incense thing. They're gone. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scattered and, and scattered the fire I'm sorry, and scattered the fire some distance away. So put out the censers that are left sitting there with the incense outside, empty them out. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, that's the key. You rejected the leadership that God placed over you. You thought you could replace it. You thought it was up to you. You've rejected all of it. Um, they sinned against their own souls. And that goes wrong with Hebrews. Like Hebrews 12 and, and 7, I believe. I think, or 11 and 7, I can't remember. 7 for sure. It says, watch out for these guys. They look out for your souls. It's to your advantage that they do that and that they're in those positions, you know. Um, they're watching out for you because if you take them out or you don't appreciate that, you're, you're sinning against your own soul. The censors of these men who sin against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore, they are holy and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers which those, uh, which those who were burned up uh, had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who was not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Can you? I mean, really? Not even a week later, they kind of forgot what happened. The next day, Moses, it's your fault that that ground opened up and swallowed all the people. He did say it. They forget who cracked the earth. They're completely forgetting God's hand in this. If you'd been more gentle, Moses, if you'd been more gracious, more merciful, they wouldn't have fallen into the pit. If you'd, oh, unbelievable. You've killed the people. Now it happened. When the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron, that they turned toward the tabernacle meeting, and suddenly the, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. That's two times in one chapter. And they fell on their faces. So Moses and Aaron said, or, and so Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense in, on it and take it quickly to the congregation to make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. He didn't even wait around. Move away, move away, I'm coming. And it starts this plague and it's going like a wave through the camp, starting at the center. It's moving its way out. Okay, in a, in a circle here. Mo, Aaron, get some fire. Get some fire. And go, you can, see, I, can you imagine their panic? I just see this in my mind. Aaron, you know, stumbling, trying to get fire in there, trying to get this thing loaded, you know, and then going out there, you know, running out there between. Just run, I just see this in my mind, these poor guys. But what a heart for the people. They didn't have to. They could have just sat there. Mm, man, and just let it go. And it would be cleaner, and it would be easier, and it would, but they don't. You've got to do this. They take action. They do what they're supposed to do. They're trying to prevent, just like they try to prevent the ground from opening up and swallowing these guys. You take too much upon yourselves. Can't you be content with what you're called to? No. 
man, you guys, you know? And the same thing here. The very next day, they begin to complain, and God just says, get out of the way. I'm sending a plague. We're doing it. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. Now, those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Imagine that. What that must, I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't need to put these pictures in your mind, but I can just see Korah coming out saying, man, we're going to need a burial party. I mean, we're going to have to start getting guys. There's 14,000 people. I mean, it's everywhere, Moses. I mean, it's not 2 million, but 14,000 people. Wow. That's intercessor right there. That's intercessory. We have a version of that um, in the church. It's prayer. Um, I've been trying to do emails, and I can't get it done, so I'm going to just obviously make a, uh, an announcement now. Saturday the 27th, between 7 and 8 a.m., we'll be here for prayer. We're going to try to do it the last... Uh, we're actually going to do the last Sunday or last Saturday of every month and, 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 and see. Um, well, we will do it, but we'll see who comes. But um, we're going to start this Saturday on the 27th. There needs to be intercession. You know, as much as you people make their own bed and have to lie in it a lot of times, um, there is a part to play. There's something we can do, you know, and that's prayer and intercede, and it works. The plague does stop. It doesn't stop their complaining. They don't learn their lesson. They're going to have continual problems as they travel for the next 40 years. That doesn't ever end. But Moses and Aaron take their responsibility very seriously, and they, they reduce the casualties for sure because they didn't have to run out there, but they did. Um, so that, I thought this was a good point to announce that. We were always planning to do it, but I thought, well, why don't you do it right now during this moment here? So Saturday the 27th, 7 to 8, we're going to come here and um, intercede not only for our families and ourselves personally and all that, which is important, um, but for beyond, you know, for our country, for our world, um, whoever um, God puts on our heart to pray for. And we'll start that then. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, uh, we thank you for these two chapters, for Moses writing all these things down um, for us to read, for our admonition. And God, we we do. We desire whatever position you have for us in your kingdom to serve you wholeheartedly um, and always help us to be reminded, Father, that you're the one that places people in position. You're the one that takes people out of position. and It's all in your hands. There's nothing we do or earn or, or uh, we can't take ourselves away from it either. I mean, uh, Jonah tried to do that. He tried to go the other way from your calling. He didn't want it, but um, you, you do what you do. And um, that's a sovereign thing, and that's a holy thing, and that's a, that's a kingship role, God, that you play, and we, we know that. Forgive us when we think that we can manipulate that somehow. Um, we love you, and we thank you for your lordship in our lives. We thank you for the salvation that you've given us through your son. That's all your plan, all you're doing. Um, you did it all. And uh, now you call us to work this salvation, to work out our own salvation not to get saved or more saved, um, but to be in obedience to your word, to let that salvation, that liberty that you've given us, bring us more holiness. Um, that's our heart. So Lord, thank you for this morning in your word. Bless these folks as they go today. Um, help them have a great day and a great rest of the week. Many opportunities, Lord, please, for uh, sharing your word and sharing your love uh, to this world. In Jesus' name, amen.